welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 30 for Monday, March 11th, 2019. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me, as always, is Johnny, or you may know him as Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello, and we are not alone once again, as you no doubt may have heard from last week's special announcement. We have a guest with us this week who should need no introduction, but I'm going to introduce him anyway because it's kind of my job <laughs> around here. You might know him from his YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Grian, which is casually approaching the 3 million subscriber mark. If you've watched any house tutorials, building tips, tricks, and inspiration videos on YouTube, you probably have watched a video by this chap at one time or another. You might also know him from the Evolution server or, more recently, Hermitcraft Season 6. If you're deep diving, you may even have checked out some sketches on the Crafted Movie channel, looked into Wincraft, where he's a founder, head builder, and game master, or even seen that one documentary Mumbo Jumbo made about his cats. Grian, welcome to the show. Oh, you just made me sound way more um, important than I am with all of those things oh, I've done. Believe me, you're very over, important, especially the cats. Over, yeah, I mean, Maui is right here next to me. He, I wouldn't, wouldn't do the podcast without him. He's probably not our first feline listener, but uh, it's nice to know that we have a cat like listening in live it's probably the first for that i mean he's he's here when i'm recording every single time i mean he's he's like my shadow he he follows me absolutely everywhere so occasionally i have to stop recording as he hits the microphone walks across the keyboard and he's like i'm leaving goodbye enjoy your recording without me <laughs> i can't i can't remember if it was in the cat documentary if it was in a different video of yours where you were vlogging and you pointed out that he gets up the is it is it one of them or the other is it mario pearl who gets up the the acoustic foam in your office and just okay, like walks so... along the top of it yeah, Pearl is the one that climbs up it, and then Maui gets... He, he's, like, really emotional. He's, he's got a huge emotional capacity. He gets jealous really easily, and so Pearl scampers up the top. She gets st herself stuck, and Maui tries to jump up and follow her, but he's twice the size of her in size and weight, and it's too much. He can't get up there. The whole thing starts collapsing around them. Pearl starts panicking, and then it turns into an absolute nightmare. She has stopped doing that as frequently thankfully but occasionally i do walk in and there's there right now is acoustic panel just there we go there's acoustic panel that's a bit skew with I'm, I'm waiting for them to add all of these behaviors to the cats in minecraft they're just gonna yeah. like start tearing down your builds anything that's made out of wool is just gone they need to start scratching any furniture that you make they... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, th there was actually something really funny in the documentary that mumbo didn't quite get a shot of and it was me having a little fight with Maui. So I got these like bag of cat treats and um, called, uh, called Dreamies. They're like little biscuits, I guess. And yeah. I was obviously I was showing him the paw trip because Maui can give paw and then you give him a treat. But he's clever enough that he knows where they come from. And he tried to he, when we weren't paying attention, he stole the packet. And then I grabbed the packet while it's still in his mouth and we had a little tug of war and the, the packet exploded. It ripped in <laughs> half and there was like a big firework full of dreamies and Mumbo's running over. Now, if you've seen Mumbo's um, big camera setup, it yeah. is massive and he's trying to run over holding this gigantic camera and he just missed it. It would have been such a good shot for the documentary and I wish I wish there was like bloopers or something I'm sure there's enough bloopers in there but yeah I mean that I really enjoyed uh, making that cat documentary it was fun it was a lot of fun to watch and yeah e even kind of cinematically speaking it was really well shot and stuff Mumbo does some really great stuff on his filming channel I know Joel has been uh, getting into that you were watching a couple of the uh, the filming things that he's done lately 
Yeah, you know what? I, it's funny. I, I just watched one this morning about lighting. I, I find it very, very interesting, and they're just so well made. And uh, I remember watching the, the, the documentary with you, Grian, and I, I always find it interesting when you've been watching and really listening to uh, people that produce YouTube content, you know, with Minecraft for a great deal of time, having never seen their face you know because of either the playlists or whatever you're following and then you get a chance to actually see a documentary and put like a face to the voice it's the same thing with podcasting when people see me in real life or even sometimes i guess well I get, johnny you've got a you've got a face cam on your stream so maybe it's yeah. not quite a, as much of a surprise for people but um have you green have you ever had anybody uh, either be surprised meeting you in oh, person yeah. or or vice versa recognize your voice before even recognizing you yeah i mean at events some you, you get a few heads turn like Ooh. Ooh, you know, <laughs> like a like a dog that sees a squirrel. Oh, I recognize <laughs> I recognize that. But more, whenever I show my face on my videos, unfortunately, you do get a lot of nasty comments about the way you look. Um, <laughs> it's, the documentary wasn't too bad. The most common one is that they're like confused how I look simultaneously thirteen and thirty at the same time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube, Which, why are you, you gonna know, be so mean? I know. I mean, I think I think you know because it's a younger audience, and when you're a child, like age, if you actually remember what it was like to be a child, everyone looks old to you. Like even eighteen-year-olds, yeah. they look massively older. You it's, know, it's like, this weird nebulous thing where you're like, I have no idea how old they are. They're just an adult. It just exactly extends, which into is the why future. you always get these hilarious answers whenever you ask a child, "Oh, how old do you think they are?" They'll say something like fifty because they have no idea. Yeah, they yeah. have no idea. So I'm guessing a lot of it comes from that. But it, yeah, I mean, it's it's never it's never pl a pleasant experience putting your face out there unless you are drop dead gorgeous, you know. <laughs> we, we we had a good chat about how good Rendog looks in a suit in the pre-show. So uh, yeah, uh, apply apply to Rendog if you want somebody who's just just naturally talented in that department. Well, before we get too off topic, I think we should do our quick login and chat about what we've been doing in Minecraft this week. Now, at the risk of obviously spoiling some stuff that might be coming up in YouTube videos, tradition dictates that the guest goes first. So, uh, Green, what have you been up to in Minecraft this week? Well, that's the thing. Everything that I've done this week has been in my video that just came yeah. out. So, well, uh, if, if you want to give a recap of that for the uh, the folks at home, I, I won't. I won't worry about you treading on my turf as far as recaps go. All right. Okay. So this week, basically on Hermitcraft, because that's what I've um, been focusing on. We're working on a big, big project called Sahara. So myself, Iskal, Mumbo are making a gigantic shop that takes up almost an entire district. And it's mainly been the grind to get that together, the amount of sand, gravel, and materials needed. And then I also went ahead and built something very reminiscent of like a real-life um, London-style house or a townhouse or a terraced house, whatever you want to call it. Made one of those because I'm taking on a new persona, and I've got a big long list of these now in Hermitcraft, <laughs> uh, of Sherlock Green to get to the bottom of some of the mysteries that have popped up across the season. So, yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to, but I've been uh, I've been working on a few cooking up a few projects in the background that have nothing to do with Hermitcraft, um, but I'm afraid they're probably a little bit too spoilery there you to go. go into. Watch this space. I, I'm also very impressed that you're planning on selling sand in the Sahara store, considering how much sand you're going to have to put into the concrete that actually frames the entire thing, because I've watched your first time-lapse where you're like, we basically just ran out of stuff and had to stop, but there's, yeah. there's so much concrete involved in that that it's amazing you've got any sand left to sell. I mean... 
Yeah, I don't have a lot of sand left to sell, to be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, the, but you know, you you take wa- you take down one desert, you take down ten. It just it, you do what you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Joel? How's your uh, Minecraft week been treating you? Uh, pretty well, actually. I I've been going back through a list of things that I have either started, mapped out, and left either incomplete or uh, nearly completed because of either not necessarily losing inspiration, but like you can't figure out how to finish a certain build, like a bridge. Uh, or uh, or, a, or a room build, and uh, I went back and I decided to decorate the the room in the Nether where we have I don't know what you want to call it. I call it the Wither Squisher. It's the little three by three bedrock ceiling where you can cheese the Wither because mm-hmm. uh, our world, for people that don't know, was generated in 1.12, so we have one of those very close to our Nether hub. And uh, currently it was a nether rack box, which is horribly ugly. And every time I went there on stream, I was like, don't look, don't look. So <laughs> we're, just, we're just here to do the business side of this. It's not meant to look yeah. pretty. Yeah. And so I, the, the tunnel leading to it is all nether brick. And I've got a custom black nether brick texture. So I didn't want to do the whole room in black nether brick. It's like, man, it's just going to be one big black blob when it comes to watching it on a video. So I wanted to do something a little bit more organic and fun. So I decided to base the room off of uh, the wither design. So there's a rib cage that kind of comes up out of the ground and curves towards where you put the wither on this altar. And I have that attached to a spine, which sounds very morbid, but it really, it looks cool. It looks more like a dinosaur fossil than anything really gross. And all of the walls are soul sand. And then I, for the very first time, uh, attempted to do that glass fog trick where you do like glass and air and glass and air for like four layers, I think. Mm -hmm. So when you're standing there on the glass floor, which is brown glass, which looks really good with soul sand, uh, you look down and there's a bunch of gray glass and black glass below. And it just looks like it goes into a fog of like wither nothing. It's just, it's not a black void, but it just looks really creepy. And so I was really happy with that because normally I've been doing a lot of like bridges and buildings and farms and things. So doing something organic with with quartz for the brick cage and and using some blocks I don't normally play with was was a lot of fun. I had a lot of really great feedback on the stream too, which is which is fun. Yeah, what about I d- you? I, dro- I dropped into that stream for a little while and it does look really atmospheric. How are you lighting that as well? Because there's definitely a light source somewhere, but I couldn't figure out where it was. So there is a piece of glowstone inside the altar. Right, okay. It's pointing down towards the glass, and that's it. Because I was messing around with lighting underneath the fog effect, which is normally what you want to do. If you want to have like a glowing, I mean, I'm trying the 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 example I usually use is um, Iskal has done it with like green, his Iskalium stuff. Yeah, in the previous season of Hermitcraft. Yeah, he puts lights at the bottom, and then that shines up and creates this glowy fog effect. Well, I wanted to do the opposite. I tried lighting, but all that did was basically show the floor, which I didn't want to do. Yeah. So I didn't put any lights at the bottom, and there's only just the one the one light inside. But because the slab altar is hung from the ceiling, uh, and there's a space between the bottom uh, of the altar and the glass floor that you're standing on, then the light kind of seeps out. Yeah. Uh, and and lights everything so it works out pretty well it's uh i was worried at first because i thought it was going to be a little bit too bright but once i removed all the work torches and all the things i needed to actually see what i was doing uh it uh, it worked out pretty well you bring up an interesting problem that i find with minecraft and that's lighting like there's not many blocks in minecraft that give you light and most of them are not suitable in everyday building so we're left in this weird position where we have to really compromise the quality of our builds in order to light it properly. 
yeah. such as putting glowstone on the floor and then covering it with a carpet. Now, the bump in the carpet and the texture doesn't quite match everything else, so you're left with something looking not quite as nice as you'd like, or it's covered in torches, which makes it look like it's got some sort of torch disease or something. <laughs> so, yeah, it's an interesting issue that I really hope gets addressed at some point. Yeah, we, we, had, a, we had a discussion about lighting on last week's show based on the Cub fans video that he made recently about that very same problem, about having to, you know, you're at endgame Minecraft and you've got all of this resources around you and you can build basically whatever you want but then you have to have a lighting block every 10 blocks otherwise zombies turn up and that just doesn't feel like where you should be at when you have mastery of all of the other elements of minecraft lighting is still the thing that kind of yeah kind of gets away from you a little bit so we'll, we'll see the... if that gets remedied in future yeah green if you had if you had some some input like what kind of new light blocks or light solutions would you like to see in the game i wish i did have an answer to that question hmm because I think if there was an easy answer, they would have done it already. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Balancing stuff like that is always the issue and not making it like too exploitable. It's, yeah, it's in an tricky. ideal world, you'd have this invisible light source, but then that's so unintuitive to mm -hmm. act practically use yeah. because you, you want your build to look nice and be lit up without actually having any visible light sources. But yeah. you can't have both, so there is always a compromise. Uh, I think the answer is to just make some sort of beacon power that stops spawning altogether and then you just leave uh, you leave it unlit. You hmm. don't have to have those at all. This from the man who said beacons suck at the start of this season of Hermitcraft, <laughs> folks. We've seen, we've seen such a change in you. Hey, hey, this is a theoretical beacon power that doesn't exist, you know? Sure, sure. <laughs> They're not what they could be. Yes, I'll, I'll admit that. I'll admit that. Well, I've, I've done a bit of work in the nether this week myself, actually. I did a bit of uh, zombie pigman farming for the first time, actually. It's another one of the firsts that, you know, not normally being a technical player, but now focusing on this single-player world I have, I basically have to put together every technical farm that would otherwise have been covered by my server mates on a multiplayer server. So I built my first ever gold farm, uh, based on a mechanic that was suggested to me by, uh, I think, a member of our Spawn Chunks community, or he was at one point, uh, Tiskin, sent me a video by a guy, I think his name is Techman88, who had a very basic gold farm that was driven by the mechanic that draws zombies to turtle eggs. You know, the way they want to go towards a turtle egg and then stomp up and down on it also applies to zombie pigmen because I guess they're sort of zombies too. A lot of the code for zombies is sort of copied over to zombie pigmen. So if you put turtle eggs in the center of a room that pigmen can spawn in, they all just sort of flock towards it. So rather than relying on player aggro to draw the pigmen into a spot where they can be killed, you can actually just AFK a little way away. It's totally safe for you to use. You can stand in the open if you want to, as long as you're far enough away for zombie pigmen to spawn, and they'll just go after the turtle eggs. Now, the problem with that, of course, being the thing that gives you the best drops from zombie pigmen is the player aggro thing, because anytime a pigman is angry at you and it dies, it technically counts as a player kill. That's what gets you experience and the extra drops from gold farms, gold swords and gold ingots. So this farm being a passive one and not relying on that mechanic at all only gives me rotten flesh and gold nuggets, which is not the highest output gold farm in the world and would also rely on a lot of you know, spawn proofing of the surrounding nether to make it a worthwhile thing. But it was fun to put together a gold farm that wasn't just the giant overkill donut on top of the nether ceiling. And it allows me to take 
the tutorial side of things one step at a time. I'm introducing the concept that you can farm gold before I go, okay, now here's how you do it industrially. So that was that was a fun experience, but having spent about a week in the nether working on projects, I'm now back to the overworld and building more peaceful things like custom trees. <laughs> nice. It's, it's funny that you mentioned you know, the, the scaling aspect of farms. I know we've talked about this on the show before, but uh, I mean, with the, the survival guide being a single player series, I mean, you might be surprised how quickly those nuggets will add up and you'll end up with certainly enough, you know, ingots to make, you know, powered rails when you need and, you know, and the like, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I AFK'd there for the duration of the time it took us to write this week's Hermitcraft recap. It was about three hours. And uh, yeah, I think I got maybe 56 gold ingots out of that from all the nuggets being assembled. So that's nearly like a full, you know, a full stack of ingots. That's really not bad for three yep. hours worth of standing there. And that was just like as far up, as close to the, the ceiling of the nether as I could. But this thing is built up there, like it's pretty high. It's basically in a, a ravine that was carved into the ceiling above a lava lake. So it's as spawn proof as I can make it without just, you know, pulling an iskal and spamming buttons everywhere. <laughs> nice. Man, why is everything above a lava lake? It just seems to be, mm -hmm. anytime you want to do anything in the nether, it's like, oh, hey, this is a perfect spot. It's too bad it's above certain doom. <laughs> it's it's it, the nature of the nether, man. I'm so happy for my elytra right now. Yeah, well, we uh, we can move on into some light news. We do not have a Java snapshot this week to talk about, but there was an update to the Bedrock beta. Uh, we thought it was worth a quick mention. That is beta 1.11.0.4. And uh, some quick hits from that update are the Hero of the Village effect, which is received for defeating a raid, gives you discount on trades. Raids trigger a dimension-wide horn sound effect, much like summoning the Wither. Villagers will hide in their houses during a raid, and when the bell rings, completely revamped villager trades for each profession. Uh-oh. Mm -hmm. Horizontal scaffolding got buffed. Kind of a suck. <laughs> it's like this, this one little yeah. note at the bottom. That, 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 like... was, that was my highlight of, like, we've done all yeah. of the stuff relating to villages. Oh, also, you can place scaffolding more, like, longer for, for a horizontal distance, which I think yeah. when, when scaffolding came out, it was a little bit underwhelming that you could only place it, like, five blocks in each direction. It was well, five, yeah. yeah. The, the reasoning being that it was faster to use dirt scaffolding still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's going to be... It's going to be interesting to see what the upper limit of that is, how far Mojang are willing to push it before they're like, no, guys, you're asking too much. But uh, it's good that people are still giving feedback on that stuff as well, because as builders ourselves, I think all three of us, uh, yeah, we, we really want to see scaffolding being something workable as opposed to something that we're just going to think it's a nice thing. Maybe it'll look good in a couple of builds, but otherwise, functionally, we're going to ignore it. Mm -hmm. Green, what uh, what do you think of, of these, uh, these updates? Well, I'm... Uh... I'm a little behind the times. I know the blocks that are coming out, but as for the features, I'm woefully ignorant. <laughs> but, you know, from what you've described, uh, the Hero of the Village effect sounds quite quite good. Mm -hmm. it, it, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's definitely a good benefit. I don't know how much the average Minecraft player in a single-player world actually trades. I don't. I genuinely don't know the answer to that. I know from my personal experience playing Minecraft on a single-player world, I wasn't bothered because I didn't have that many emeralds and I didn't go through it. It seems to me now that I've been on Hermitcraft, when you set up these trade halls, that's when that really starts kicking in, when you can do it on a mass scale of trading. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know how much the average player would benefit from something like that. I think that's that's uh, kind of part of the point of this next update really is to encourage the average player to go out and seek out villages and make trading a more enticing prospect. But what they're also doing is 
like complexifying if that's even a word the the village trading system for folks who are already familiar with it so it's simultaneously like an encouragement to go out and trade and then for everyone who's used to villager trading already it's a, a spanner in the works because suddenly some of the mechanics are going to work a little differently yeah and i i think they're probably right to address it because it is it's very um i'd, I'd say i'd say it's not particularly useful like we said for the average player but it's great for like us on Hermitcraft because we can get a lot of things very cheaply so yeah I think an overhaul is due mm -hmm. even if it is going to mess up a lot of trading halls so I don't know what completely revamping villager trades means um, I, don't, I honestly have no idea what that entails I don't think they've told us either yeah, I think that's it's, one it's, of those Moyang notes right it's not in the change log you know in any great detail but what I presume that means is that right now we're used to villagers all trading a set amount of things so like priests will always give you the first two trades being rotten flesh for emeralds and gold for emeralds what i understand is that maybe those trades are going away and being replaced by different ones i think mm. it's also going to be the case that the exchange rate for certain things is different because there is now this thing where you can trade with a villager just by walking into a village with an emerald they hold up something you want to trade and then you can just make a trade without going into the gui I, I believe that's how it works. Folks in the, the comments, uh, you know, the, the discussion after this on Twitter and so forth will probably correct me if I'm wrong. But okay. I, I, so think, I think it might the be the idea case. To, uh, is the idea to tackle this mass trading scheme that we're basically doing on Hermitcraft? Because, I mean, here, here's, here's the thing. We have these potato farms, pumpkin farms, melon farms, all of it. We then trade that on a mass scale with a farmer who then gives us the emeralds that we need to buy anything we want. Books... Uh, pickaxes so essentially we get free diamonds just from afking is it that this revamp will then prevent that from happening i don't know is if that it's, the end goal? i don't know if it's about preventing it from happening so much as just putting in a little bit more effort to make that happen because so it's an unintended uh, consequence i think so mm. yeah it, it it remains to be seen because the none of these changes have really come to the java edition yet so the technical players haven't gotten in and figured out how they can turn these mechanics to their advantage obviously some folks right. who are in the technical community on bedrock have been able to get in there and look at it already but i feel like the majority of the community that wants like not exploitable mechanics per se, but at least mechanics that can be farmed easily for larger servers, that tends to happen in the Java player base. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when, say, the Cycraft players get hold of whatever the new villagers do and how we need to adjust things like trading halls based on the fact that villagers will now need to sleep and go to a workstation during their daily routine, otherwise all their trades start to lock up. And yeah, well, this, it's... This is, in, this is a really, really interesting conversation that I've had with um, Mumbo and Iskow and it's something that we we talk about quite a lot because if they do seal up all of these exploitable things Minecraft no longer becomes Minecraft to quote Mumbo he said Minecraft is beautifully flawed and mm -hmm. I, I love that because it's very true now you have to work extremely hard to be able to set up a villager trading hall you've got to breed all those villagers you've got to set up all the automatic farms and it's completely rewarding when you get to the end of it because you're able to no longer strip mine, which is dull, mm -hmm. you know? So you end up having this creative process with an end goal that is totally rewarding compared to what, let's say, quote, they want you to do. And if they then rehaul this with the, even the unintended consequence that you can no longer exploit these things, Minecraft loses some of its elegance in 
its flawed design. And people like myself, like Mumbo, will no longer be able to get creative. It's not so much exploiting as it is just creatively adapting what's there without if you, if you just imagine for a second removing all of the exploits all of the quirks all of the little tricks and stuff that make that make minecraft what it is you would have a very dull let's play <laughs> you would have a very dull let's play half the farms wouldn't work mumbo wouldn't have been able to make that gigantic hole he would have had to have mined that <laughs> himself and it's stuff like that that makes this game absolutely fantastic. So I, I do worry a little bit that they are just trying to seal up these holes because they don't like their game being flawed. I hope that behind the scenes they really do appreciate, even if it's unintentional, that it is beautifully flawed. It's a very, very good point and very eloquently put. I like I like beautifully flawed. I see that in Minecraft whenever I look at the terrain as well, because some people really dislike those kind of floating island things that pop up here and there, just like the occasional block. And when suddenly you'll find a tree that has half of the leaves sheared off it by terrain generation. And I just look at that and I go, oh, Minecraft's so quirky and fun. And like, you know, not everything in it has to be perfect. And I, I like that, that philosophy. And yeah, I, I kind of echo that really. I do think that it's it's got to be in the forefront if, or if not in the forefront then at least you know and a part of their mind has to say so much of the creativity that we've seen in minecraft over the years has come from these features not quite working the way you would expect them to in a polished finished product but the nature of minecraft always having these new updates and evolving is introducing more stuff like that and like logical geek boy said when we had him on the show a couple of weeks back it is better that they add features rather than take features away, whether that's unintentionally, like you say, through unintended consequence of revamping these features and polishing them a little bit more. It's best if things don't get taken away from that as a result. No, I totally, I totally agree. Totally agree. Speaking of uh, evolution, I, I know from watching your videos, Green, I know Johnny has been keeping up and I'm sure lots of our, our listeners have been watching your, your videos over the last year. You've had to evolve quite a bit uh, as, a, as a Minecraft player. And I know that Johnny had a, a couple of questions like specifically for this, which I think is a great direction uh, for the interview. So why not we just, just jump in? Uh, where, where did you want to start, Johnny? Uh, I I kind of wanted to have this conversation with you because, at, like I, I was saying in the, the pre-show, when we met, the, we were both kind of, we, we, we chatted about being tutorial builders and working in creative and doing kind of time-lapse builds and stuff like that. But since then, you've had the Evo server and Hermitcraft, which are both two survival servers. So you were primarily known for being a creative player and then now it seems like you're thriving in a survival environment it's more than just an adaptation to well i've got to do this now because survival gameplay is the in thing you are just innovating almost in a survival environment and a lot of people in the comments of hermitcraft recap and the hermitcraft videos i've watched are just really excited by the stuff you're doing on hermitcraft so i kind of want to talk to you about how you got to that point moving from creative through to survival and I kind of want to start with Evo. Speaking of evolution, uh, was Evo just kind of conceived as like a fun idea to work up through older versions of Minecraft, or did that actually was that actually like necessary to educate yourself about the newer features? No, no, it definitely wasn't necessary. I could have jumped into a more up to date Let's Play, uh -huh. but it was an exercise that I had actually done a long, long time ago. But obviously the game has progressed so much since then it was a fun exercise because it was a nostalgia trip for myself sure i well, i picked up minecraft when it first came out basically when it was very 
very bare bones. And so, and I've recently actually been going back through some versions for spoilers, and <laughs> it's a totally, totally different game. Yeah. It's, it, it feels different. It plays different. It's a, it's very, it's almost relaxing in a way. It, I find the current version can be a bit more stressful than it used to be. And I, at the time when I sort of revisited this idea of Minecraft Evolution as a series, I wanted to hit that nostalgic bone for myself because I could reminisce about a lot of the bugs that I used to know, a lot of the exploits, you know, for example, you could uh, place a couple of gravel blocks above your head, you stand in between them, and you can see everything underground without taking full damage, and then you're able to see where caves were. Again, it was a beautiful little exploit, Mm -hmm. and it didn't really hurt anyone, you know, so... Um, I wanted to reminisce about that, and I thought it'd be a fun exercise. It quickly became more of a um, almost story-driven when the watchers were introduced, yeah. and um, in, that gave us a mechanism to actually progress through the versions without saying, "Hey, guys, now we're in beta one point four. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. You store you storify it to keep it entertaining for the audience, but then it's still exactly yeah. Just kind and of I guess since you, but... since the series is actually over, I don't actually need to keep the mystery alive too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm quite free to d- to discuss it a bit more. The Watchers. This is, I guess, an exclusive because no, I've never really said this before. I did plan on actually doing a video on my second channel about this exact topic, but. You know, here we are. So the watchers were always meant to represent the viewer. Mm-hmm. That's who the watchers were. I mean, quite literally, the watchers, the viewers of uh, the game. And so whenever they interfered or intervened, it was usually based on the opinions at the time in the comment section. But no one actually ever caught on to this, and they thought that the watchers were a real person. So when I left the series, because I left before it actually concluded um, entirely, I became a watcher, I became a viewer. It was a very fun series to do, and I, I learned a lot from it, having not really done too much survival beforehand it taught me a lot about getting back into that let's sort of let's play but i wasn't always a uh, survival or just singularly creative i actually did variety gaming and role playing even if it wasn't even on my channel so it's sort of all of these experiences i've redefined my channel several times over the course of the last few years even if it's not content on my channel and all of those skills have sort of culminated in what you see in hermitcraft now that was going to be my next question, really, was like, when your channel was focused more on creative modes in terms of the videos you were producing, were you still playing survival in the background? Were you just not making content from survival at the time? No, I think okay. um, I, I started playing Minecraft 2011, 2012. I played for a good couple of years, and then I got into um, making machinimas and building and creative mode and all that kind of stuff and I dropped survival from that point on and I think I've got that horrible thing that I can't, I'm chasing the, the, the nostalgia dragon I want that feeling I had when I first started playing Minecraft and unfortunately I'm not going to get that because I'm too knowledgeable about the game now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, that's something I see people struggling with all the time they're kind of like how can I repeat the experience I had when I was new to this game like a lot of yeah. a lot of people seem to be chasing that feeling a little bit. 
So to flip the previous question on its head, not to, sorry, don't, don't want to confuse you even further. Now you are a survival player kind of primarily in the content you produce. How much of your Hermitcraft episodes gets planned in creative behind the scenes? Like how much are you? Zero. None of it. So you're, you're building like the, the giant build height concrete base you've got. It was built just on the Hermitcraft server. Well, in the actual video, I went into a creative world and I just made some cylinders using world edit just to show what I was trying to envision in my mind, but I definitely didn't plan any of it. I mean, that's why it's not perfect. The build is not perfect at all. Each of the segments of the modern cake, if you like, are different heights. They're some are a bit squashed. It's, it's not perfect at all. And I, I kind of like that because if I'd done it in creative first, it would have been perfectly built. And then it would have been translated into Herm Hermitcraft and it would have been built. But I, like I've, I've already sort of said that I kind of like the fact that it's it's flawed, but there's no way that I would do this. I would do that build again just to get it right. Utterly, I'm leaving it as it is because it's just so time intensive. And for me, building the base was always a secondary in the background thing. It was never the focus of my Hermitcraft experience. I think it's really interesting the license you give yourself to be imperfect when you're building in survival because if you're building stuff in creative then you've got all of the tools necessary to just break any block you want and, and spend hours kind of pouring over details and get it right whereas if you're building in survival you kind of have to call it a day at a certain point and there, there are going to be flaws behind the scenes just because of the nature of the restrictions that are being placed on you yeah i totally agree it's it, once you've actually spent time it's kind of like um <laughs> i guess it's kind of like drawing like drawing or painting in real life you're much more uh accepting of the mistakes you make because there's no way you want to draw it all again but if you took a photograph you would take several over until you get the right one yeah it's the kind of the mm. instant snapshot that you can do exactly but you always appreciate the painting that you did yourself yeah, I mean, it's akin when I do artwork too, uh, digital versus, you know, drawing on paper. You know, I, I will sketch and, and try to get something decent before I ink it on paper, but I will spend far too much time in Photoshop because I have multiple layers. I can, I can redraw the thing three and four times. Now, am I happier with the result? Sure. Did I spend the whole day on it? Also, yes. <laughs> Maybe not the best use of my time. Uh, in some cases, I've noticed that you know, it's nice to flex those skill sets of, of drawing things traditionally because it just means you have to accept the happy accidents that happen when the brush pen doesn't do what you want. Uh, it's similar in Survival Minecraft when you do something that's really large and, and you've either miscounted or you've got this thing that doesn't quite sit right with you and you're like, well, I'm not redoing it. So how can we accept this and move forward and come up with a creative way uh, of, of, you know, making it look the way that we want without having to just, you know, take it back to the to the foundation and, and do it again. There's always a certain degree of uh, creatively masking mistakes and that can end up, like you said, with a happy little accident. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious with the scale of the stuff that you're building, uh, both with the new Sahara project, I mean, your own base, uh, some of the other things that you've done on Hermitcraft, has there been a significant change to your production day behind the scenes when you're making the videos moving to Hermitcraft versus, say, the creative stuff that you used to do? Um, I've always been a fairly slow worker, <laughs> um, so my I've never had a schedule on YouTube. A couple of years ago, I tried to do daily content because I thought it was the thing. And everyone that you spoke to said, yeah, you've got to do daily if you're at this level. And I tried it and I didn't like it and I never did it again. And I haven't had a schedule ever since. Behind the scenes, I have a mentality of it takes as long as it takes. 
and then you upload something that you're happy with. And for the most part, that's worked out for me. However, there comes a point where you haven't uploaded in two weeks and you're like, yeah, I, I should put out a video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always, it's always the struggle as well because YouTube relies so much on frequent uploads to promote you in the algorithm. We think, we don't really know. So yeah, I mean, I've been doing daily episodes or week daily at least for the Minecraft Survival Guide. And while it's a it's a routine that I wish could slow down. Part of the momentum also sustains me and keeps me creative. And obviously different people have different ways of working. So clearly you haven't found that that kind of, that kind of thing is for you. But yeah, it it is further down the line going to require me to either start rescheduling. So I adopt a when it's done, it's done mentality. Or I have to really thoroughly plan my time if I'm going to be putting out a video on a larger project one day and I don't want it to take basically the entire works, week's worth of videos where I'm going, okay, still working on this project for another three hours of the day. You know, I just, yeah, mm. I, I can I can see that becoming an insurmountable obstacle as you get bigger and bigger with the stuff in in these series. But yeah, it's it's good to know that you've at least got a, a handle on it. I feel like that's part of the, the YouTuber mentality that gets to a lot of people is balancing, I want to create something and I want to fulfill my own creative impulses versus I have to please my audience by getting something out yesterday. I mean, I could I could speak with you for 10 hours about how I think YouTube is. <laughs> yeah. And and the the things um one thing that irks me is when YouTubers speak to each other, uh they they say all these things that are guesses because every no one really knows yeah. at all. And even you saying, you know, you feel like you have to upload frequently, I would then disagree. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, what works for me almost certainly won't work for you. Mm -hmm. So you almost have to find your own, as cliche as it sounds, you have to find your own space on there. But it's, I, I hate these little rules or whatever that work. It should always, always come down to the content itself. If the content is good, people will go and watch it mm -hmm. and then all of the other stuff comes later all of the titles all of the thumbnails etc that comes secondary to the content itself because ultimately watch time equals uh longevity on the chat on on the channel on the on the platform going back to uh going back to hermitcraft um if you're building in survival now you're obviously kind of part participating in a much slower building process than in creative um, but I feel like that's part of the reward of playing in survival, having kind of earned the fact that you're building these materials. And so when you finish something huge like your your base, it feels a little bit more satisfying, even though, like you say, it, it feels imperfect. There's kind of a satisfaction in that. Um, where do you land on that? Is, is a survival build more satisfying to complete than a creative one, or are they just two different flavors? I think they're two different flavors. I definitely don't feel more satisfaction in completing it in survival but i think that's just because i've got a long history of building things in general yeah you know after years and years and years of building loads of different things i mean that's partly why i transitioned away from building tutorials is that i had i felt like i had had enough and you feel like you're just uh, you know uploading another modern house tutorial with a slightly different front door or whatever sure it's not it's not rewarding at all which is why when i went into hermitcraft i went and built something that i'd never attempted before it was a completely abstract thing in my mind i didn't have a plan i just had a vague shape in mind and i think it worked out quite well but it wasn't necessarily as satisfying like i said the building for me 
I'm sort of using my skills that I've learned over the years in in Minecraft building to aid me in Hermitcraft, but it's never the focus of what I'm doing. You'll notice that when I do buildings, it tends to be a minute-long time-lapse. If I really wanted to make it long, I would, you know, just film myself first-person building and talk over it, and it would take up a huge amount of time. But it's not the focus, it's something to get done. Do you think um, a lot of your creativity comes from spontaneity then? You're just kind of throwing yourself into it without a plan? Is that when you feel like you're at your most creative? Or is it more like, you know, do, do you get more creativity out of out of planning stuff to begin with? Most of my ideas come to me outside of being on the computer. Sure. <laughs> so uh, I usually, I, it could be, I'm heavily influenced by the things that I watch, the TV shows that I enjoy, the emotions that they make me feel. I'm like, I want to make my audience feel like that. How can I tackle that? How can I, how can I create this? For example, at the end of Minecraft Evolution, I really wanted to make people a bit sad that it had ended. And the way that I went about that was having this big uh, Ender Dragon fight where I would then become a watcher and then I wrote out the script at the end that was meant to sort of reminisce about the series and it played it played the Evo theme tune that I'd used the entire series but Family Craft Dad actually I got him to remix it to make it sadder nice. make him make like a slower version of it so I tried my best to sort of hit some emotions but that's just because that's how I wanted the series to end, you know? Yeah. I really dig the stuff that you do, we'll say outside of like the gameplay aspect of Minecraft, things like getting, you know, Family Craft Dad to tweak the music and uh, rewriting the, the, the scroll at the end of the game. Like th that kind of stuff is really immersive. S sending Iskal a written invitation to that join was my next, organization yeah, on that the was my, my next point. Yeah, like I I cackled in my living room watching that episode going like he he really is <laughs> is that a wax seal it's like, oh my god yeah i so, honestly so good. i i don't know i yeah th these ideas basically when an idea hits me it really feels like it hits me it feels like it slaps me on the head so uh, this just came to me when i was playing games with i think ren and iskal and uh, i was like hold on this would be funny because i've i've been pondering how to invite uh iskal to um, to architects and he obviously kind of semi knew it was coming because of Iskal Arch uh, Architect lol all of the people went and commented Iskal Architect lol in big capital letters so he kind of was onto me in a way so I was like right I can't just like you know go and build something in his base and that's the invitation although that's what that's what I think he was expecting so I was like I really need to surprise him shock him in some way now i didn't know his address or anything so something in the post i thought would be the way to go <laughs> so I, I got his address from um one of his friends and then i just went overboard and this idea of like a hogwarts style letter took hold i started looking on fiverr for people that might be able to do it and then i was like right we've got to you know i don't do things by halves i don't compromise on quality i'm getting a wax seal and you know it took me a week to order all of that in and i had a really good time doing it and i mean wax sealing is incredibly fun i was just i was just there's like an, an empty envelope with like 10 wax seals on it because i was just practicing <laughs> i was gonna say do, do you plan on using that for anything else now are you gonna send out like official documents to mumbo as well in the post when, when, whenever <laughs> no, you want to start work on something 
I think it was a one-time thing, and uh, I think that's okay. <laughs> yeah, and you, you've you've got that seal now. You've kind of you've created a memory for yourself at that point. That's going to be something, yeah. an artifact of sorts that you can keep around as a reminder of this time, which is it's a prop. I'm a little bit upset that I well, I won't I won't get to keep the letter. I want Iskal to send it back so I can put it on the wall. <laughs> like, give it give it back. Give back the invitation yeah. I sent. Well, you. he he can send you a photo. Apparently, he's going to frame it. Uh, I saw his reaction video. Yeah, I, no, was, I wanted to frame pretty... it though. <laughs> <laughs> Just do do yeah. do another one. And just yeah fr- frame frame the uh the one that's got all the test seals on it maybe definitely really high engagement stuff too like I, I i enjoy that kind of uh camaraderie and and engagement that you bring to the hermitcraft server and i mean you're not alone but you seem to be at the center of a lot of the server community activities on hermitcraft this season so things like the game of tag the prank war uh, and i'm just wondering like you mentioned some of the stuff comes to you kind of off the cuff but once you've had the idea how much of it is carefully planned behind the scenes, like say the prank war or or tag. Well, I don't want to pull back the curtain too much. Sure. Um, but obviously, with something like the war, a certain degree of organisation has to happen because it's it's a huge group of people. You can't just say, right, guys, let's have a war. You've got to have <laughs> meetings to say, like, right, guys, let's make sure we schedule this properly, so you know your uploads don't go out of sync, so that people can follow the story but when it comes down to what is actually made that's down to the hermit like that's down to their content we don't typically tend to interfere with you know i don't tell anyone what they should upload but yeah a certain degree of organization has to take place with a project that involves so many people otherwise it would have been a colossal mess and it probably wouldn't have ended up where it did Mm. And it's it's not just for the the episodes where you're all battling people and there's like ten people all in the same collab. It's the stuff that goes into raiding each other's bases and making sure traps are at least available for people to walk into. You don't want to walk into a half finished trap and like claim a prize at the end of the day. Like it, it's all about making it entertaining, I suppose, for the audience. Yes, and so that entertainment comes first every single time. But we also really don't want to lose any of the organics of recording because there's nothing like we're not well i say we i'll speak for myself only i'm not a professional actor yeah so the the best way to get good content is to make sure it's real so that your reaction is real and you're not acting because i'm not a professional actor i'm not very good at it so the best way to do that is to create content that will provide you with an organic reaction and not only is that more entertaining anyway it's more satisfying for you as a person as well yeah, I feel like when you end up with heavily improved stuff, whether it's podcasts or videos, uh, where there is some like acting or some some RP going on, for me personally, I tend to tune out more versus what you're saying when it's when it's something that's just the actual person playing, like just playing the game and something funny happens. You know, the the prank war itself was always something that I thought was like it was it was a game of laughs. It wasn't like who could you know defeat the other team. It was like who was gonna get the most you know, just side-splitting chuckles out of their audience uh, by doing all this silly, silly stuff, you know, whether it's launching llamas into the into the stratosphere <laughs> or, you know, coming up with all kinds of different things. I mean, even just even just the jokes of, of the G-team base looking like a Brita filter, I again, just, they, they stuck with me, you know, every time. When it comes to stuff like that, that involves, we'll say, a fictitious division of, of uh, you know, we'll say factions across the server. Were there some challenges to managing viewer expectation with something like the prank war? Yeah, definitely. Big. One of the biggest problems was people thinking it was real. 
like a real fight with animosity. There was no, obviously no malice. We're all really good friends. And, mm. you know, friends that play Minecraft together steal each other's diamonds and they burn each other's houses sometimes. But we wanted to avoid that because it can come across as malicious. And we mm. don't want anyone to perceive that there's any problems within Hermitcraft itself. So that had to be, you know, whenever I did something, I was very obviously maybe a bit too much, had to remind the audience that it was all for fun and games. And yet people still thought it was real, which is unfortunate, but it's to be expected when you have a, a wide ranging age of audience members. Yeah, I think it's difficult to have an audience that is both like in on the joke and also trying to perpetuate the joke a little bit like the, I, i've seen some people just really getting into the role play in the comments and kind of taking sides but in a way that feels very much like okay i know what's going on here but i'm going to take sides for the theater of the whole thing and then there are people yeah. who you know it it becomes difficult to tell because of it like a lot of the comments happening in text so if people aren't necessarily expressing really malicious language, but they're saying, you know, oh, I hope Team Star loses all their lives and dies, you know, there's there's only a, there's a couple of different ways you can interpret that. But you can usually tell, actually, it's it's interesting you say that because you can usually tell that those that are getting involved because they tend to be you can just the tone of the the comment but there are people that spam angry emojis and say i can't believe you've done this yeah, kind of thing writing in all and caps and stuff yeah and you know that that person thinks it's real and by their reaction you can tell that they really didn't quite get it yes. which is unfortunate and for me that's something that i want to learn from because obviously i don't want my audience ever to get upset at anything that i upload mm-hmm. so managing viewer expectations is something that's almost an impossible task on YouTube because you will never, ever, ever make everyone happy. But you can definitely try your best to make them so. Yeah, especially with an audience the size of Hermitcraft as well. Like, there's there's always going to be, like, a variety of people watching and, you know, what works for some people doesn't necessarily work for others. But it's it's good to know that that's at least, like, in everybody's minds and just try, trying to make it as, as fun as possible without seeming malicious is always going to be the best way forward for a, a group collab like that. Yeah. So uh, we may as well move on to some questions from our listeners before we get away from that too much. Uh, we've got a bunch of really great, and I want to I want to thank our community for a start for uh, doing what we asked and sending in really thoughtful questions. We had a bunch of uh, of mail, any of which we could have read on the show, and it would have made for an interesting discussion. And sorry if we can't get to yours because we had a, a a larger volume of mail than we are used to, we could say. But uh, we picked out a few emails here that we thought would be would be great to chat about. And the first of which is from Redstone Pixels, who says. Hello, Joel, Pixel Riffs, and Grian. Love the podcast. I don't normally listen to podcasts, but Spawn Chunks is great to listen to while I'm grinding or building projects in Minecraft. So the question for Grian is that he changed from creative to survival recently. Is he satisfied with the current survival building mechanics? Is there anything he would add to the game to help with survival building, like maybe a builder's wand that lets you place two or three or more blocks at the same time, maybe with enchantments that could scale up the amount of blocks you can place? Thanks redstone pixels so uh obviously we talked a little bit about scaffolding earlier on but obviously that's a feature that is now planned do you think there's anything that hasn't been announced that could maybe improve the way survival building works yes i think there's many ways (laughs) (laughs) so i mean let's go to creative building first i think there needs to be a vanilla way of having world edit i think there needs to be builder tools in creative that allows you 
to spawn in massive walls, cylinders, etc., etc., via commands or however it may be done. You don't find creative builders without finding them using Voxel Sniper and World Edit, because otherwise you're just wasting time. That's mm-hmm. why these magnificent projects are even possible, because of those tools. If they were in vanilla Minecraft, oh my goodness, would it increase the amount that you could do exponentially Uh, because not everyone obviously has access to those tools Mm -hmm. but the things that people could do if they existed even on a limited scale would be phenomenal when it comes to create uh, sorry survival building there's a few things i don't think scaffolding is the solution to building on a on a um, sort of a, a taller build i really don't i think if you're doing scaffolding and you know, the timings have already been tested. I know that you said that scaffolding's been buffed, but the time difference that you save in using scaffolding versus Instamine dirt blocks is not magnificent. Mm-hmm. I uploaded a video a while ago about seven things that I would add to Minecraft, and one of them was an air conduit. So that is similar to the underwater conduit, you know, the normal one, except it would allow you to sort of swim through the air in a radius basically being able to fly in a limited manner you would set one up in the middle of your castle and you'd be able to swim up to the wall you were building and then pop yourself on the top you wouldn't have to fly around with elytra smash into the walls you could fly up but obviously if you went outside of that radius you'd plop down and hit hit your head you know so yeah Mm. being able to sort of swim up a wall and place blocks as you were going uh it would be infinitely better than scaffolding but i don't think that something like that would be terribly it wouldn't it wouldn't kill scaffolding dead in the water because it would be an absolute nightmare and expensive to set up just like a real conduit is anyway you'd have to gather the blocks you'd have to set it up you'd have to power it with whatever it may be i mean obviously this is all hypothetical um but i believe that would be the way for the end game builders who are working on these giant product projects to uh you know be able to s- swim between the gigantic build and fly around essentially and even if it's only limited, it would just give you something that isn't a dull, monotonous scaffolding block. I feel like the scaffolding block is something you do early on in the game. There needs to be something for those endgame players like we have on Hermitcraft. And there are a lot of people who are just at endgame, and that's Minecraft to them. Like, endgame really is you've beaten the dragon, you go to the outer end, you get Elytra, and then it is what you make of it after that. It's the point where there Mm -hmm. are no more storyline, quote-unquote, objectives for the progression of Minecraft. And that is where I imagine so much of the player base is. Now, there are definitely going to be people who repeat the you know, the the game experience and don't necessarily see endgame as like, well, now it's just open to me to do everything. But... Yeah, and I don't see the the sort of air conduit idea being particularly exploitable either. Like, I'm not entirely sure, except for maybe on PvP servers or something like that. But I don't know quite how you would balance a mechanic like that. But it doesn't seem no. It doesn't and seem I, immediately exploitable to me. No, I mean theoretically, you could create several air conduits in a line, and you'd be able to swim through them and potentially get really high. But I just think the the forgive it is it sky is the limit really you could do <laughs> a, you could do a lot with it i'm sure mini games would be uh, would be birthed from that idea and you know the things that you could do would be incredible but obviously you'd have to work for it it's kind of like these gigantic iron farms yes the reward is insane in unlimited iron but you have to put an enormous amount of work in to get there it'd be the same with this conduit you have to work really hard to get those materials you have to have some luck involved in looting or what whatever it may be and you wouldn't be able in survival to get 
a lot of these together. So yeah, I probably am wrong in thinking that they're not super exploitable, but I think it could also be really interesting. And the amount of hilarity that would come from it, from messing up as well. Imagine you made air conduits as a bridge across the nether and you went outside the radius and you went in the lava pool. I mean, it's it's all fun and games. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, it, it almost sounds like magic. Like it almost sounds like something that, uh, similar to an enchantment, would, would be very in tune with the stuff that's already in the game. Similar to how they've got a slow falling potion now and and you've got feather falling on boots like what about floaty a floaty enchant where you know level one you float three blocks level four you float 12 blocks and it just allows you to do the kind of things that you yeah or do. kind of like a yoshi jump where you press yeah. space bar and mm, press it mm. again and you go <laughs> up a little bit and then you fall That's yeah. something like, double something jumping like that. yeah yeah <laughs> double jumping in minecraft yeah yeah uh, our next email comes from uh, one of our content engineer patrons, and it's uh, Panqua. Uh, Hello, Grian. I am happy you're able to be on the Spawn Chunks and cannot wait to hear the episode. My question for you is regarding your builds on Hermitcraft Season 6. You have started playing more and more with builds that require redstone, and you have made the comment in the past that you're not a redstone person. However, I am curious, if you continue to develop builds using redstone, are your views changing? Could you see yourself developing more complicated redstone builds in the future? Thank you for your time, and I hope you have a fantastic day. Redstone for me is like music. I don't understand it at all, and I can't play music, but I can listen to it. So when it comes to redstone um, contraptions, I can look at what it looks like and I can replicate it, i.e. listen to it, but I don't think I'd be very good at creating one myself because, I mean... On Mumbo's live stream only yesterday, I looked at his um, TNT thing and I asked him how it worked and he said he didn't really know. (laughs) 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 And that's how I feel about everything I make. I make it, it works, but I don't quite understand how it works. Um, When I first joined Hermitcraft, I was actually using redstone that looked like it was from the beta version. (laughs) (laughs) If I was really, really bothered about making redstone stuff good or well i would go on youtube and i would go and check out the cycraft guys or whatever and i would replicate it and i would eventually learn redstone through osmosis but i feel like the redstone space particularly on hermitcraft is pretty occupied like it's not really my my thing unless i can create some sort of mischievous device using redstone yeah i'd probably invest a bit of time in doing that and making it happen but for the most part it's good to have something that I'm not particularly good at so that I can communicate with others. They can maybe build it with me or for me and then we both get a bit of content out of it. But yeah, my views have changed over the years simply because I've been forced to use it a little bit in Hermitcraft. You can't avoid it too much. I was going to say, are you saying that the the machine that removes Mumbo's mustache isn't a miracle of redstone? Because I feel like you've invented a new genre of gadget there. I mean, I'm not denying it. I am a redstone <laughs> genius when it comes to mischievous contraptions. Yes, absolutely. and I actually did that. I did, you know, that that's okay. Family Craft Dad did the music. I did admit I can't do music. He he gave me the note blocks um, that I needed to do. But yeah, it is it is actually well made that one. But I mean, it's um, with the fireworks and stuff. It's not it's not the worst kind of redstone you can think of. It. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say it's not rocket science, but technically, I guess it, it is. It is rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, we'll move on to the last question here. This one is from Rouge Spark and is a, a nice quick one, really. Uh, it says, hello, Pixel Riffs and Joel and Green as well. I would like to ask Green what he thinks of the 1.14 update so far. And this may be quite a handful, but I'm just very curious about what Green thinks. Best regards, Rouge Spark. So... 
1.14 in general, you said you were more interested in the blocks that were coming rather than the kind of village mechanics when we were talking about the, the Bedrock beta earlier. So what, what blocks and what, what are you most looking forward to building with in 1.14? Um, I did a few videos exploring what you can do. I was um, disappointed in some things, like I couldn't really find a good use for bamboo because of the random placement it has, much like a flower. Um, but other things um, that were great were like the loom and stuff. Like the, I'm I'm excited to see what can be done with the town bell, and because you can make some really interesting things. Like one of the fa- my my favorite things that we made was um, a grandfather clock with a bell at the bottom because it looks like a pendulum. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm excited to check out the weirder shaped blocks to see how they can change existing builds like the i think it's the is it the stone cutter the big square thing that rotates yeah uh, and it's got yeah. like a circular saw kind of thing on the top of it uh yeah yeah that that one i mean i couldn't really think of too much maybe like you know prison wall or something and what what's the other one with the stone that rotates with the what's it called it it disenchants stuff oh yeah the grindstone that grindstone one. that one i mean that one is a brilliant one because you you have a lot of options it's a unique shape and it's smaller than a block so it makes small scale builds much more interesting i'm excited to try those out however there's some things about 1.14 that i'm i'm not too enthused by and it goes back to something that i was going to bring up earlier but i didn't and it's what i call the zombie problem with minecraft when they bring out new things or new mobs they tend to be zombies the husk the drowned uh normal zombies like they're very plain whereas i think minecraft is more identifiable with the creatures that don't exist anywhere else shulker boxes or shulkers absolutely fantastic creature unique and fun to fight against or or completely annoying. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> phantoms are phantoms. They're terrifying and they're brilliant and they're super interesting and unique, but I don't want to see more zombies added to the game at all. Like, I, I was disappointed by the drowned because I thought there was, you know, going to be some sort of sea creature, some unique sea creature that was going to come out of this, uh, the, uh, the aquatic update. So I was super disappointed to see that things like foxes were being added because... I've got foxes in real life. I'm playing Minecraft. I want to find some Minecraft mobs, you know? We've already got chickens, cows, etc. I know, I get that. But I would love to see more unique things to Minecraft and not another polar bear. It goes back to, <laughs> it goes back to what Joel and I were talking about recently with the basically all of the passive and neutral mobs in the game more or less are things from real life and everything that you fight that's a hostile mob has to be fantastical because then you're not killing real life creatures but so you feel like moyang could probably put a little bit more of that the creativity that they display when they're coming up with uh hostile mobs into producing more kind of interesting fantastical passive creatures yeah i i mean the polar bear is quite a good example of something that doesn't really serve much purpose and it doesn't have to be that way it really doesn't I mean, I might be wrong. Maybe I don't know enough about the game, but no one on Hermitcraft has a polar bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, po- polar bears just, they they get mad at you when you go near the babies and they drop fish. 
and those are the only two behaviors I can name about them. They just kind of roam around a little bit. And I think that's that, that's the, the example the community in general keeps coming back to is polar bears. And I think at least foxes, they have some sort of interesting behavior to them. But then if you're not a technical player, you're not in it to kind of exploit those behaviors to see what you can do with them, then foxes are just kind of eye candy to an extent. And but you're- I feel the same way about pandas. Um, I'm, I mean, like I said, I'm kind of ignorant to the deep finer details but with cats they scare away creepers with dogs they protect you if you get hurt but the pandas they all just you know have a different face or a different personality i don't know what they do like what's what's their purpose in the game how does it how does it how does the player interact with it in a meaningful way that isn't just oh look at the look at the panda the, the, the one thing that I can think of that's, I think, come back come out a couple of times in these podcasts is that the sneezing pandas give you slime, and that's a source of slime if you play on Peaceful. But that's also, again, like a, a fraction of the player base is going to be people who play survival mode but on Peaceful and need to get slime for whatever, you know, sticky pistons and stuff they want to make. So, right. yeah, there's, think... there's definitely little bits and pieces, but nothing that really feels like a, a coherent, like, holistic feature that's going to apply to the most amount of people. I think a really interesting example of that kind of thing in other media would be any kind of like forest or fantasy creature in in an anime film where they've got like, you know, vegetables that have legs and they walk around or mushrooms that waddle around the forest or, you know, these really odd shaped like floaty blob things that could be, you know, forest sprites or something. There's all kinds of really imaginative stuff that they could put into into the the passive mobs, you know, the we'll say the environmental mobs the life that the they could ambient, bring to the game the ambient, ambient thank you yes that's the word i'm looking for yeah i mean i could i could talk of, again for hours on this topic but uh i just i would like to see something more i'm not asking that these creatures do something spectacular you know the cow gives uh food and leather and leather is useful um the the sheep gives wool and meat and the wool is useful why not have a creature that also is useful in some way, even if it's not the most useful thing in the world, but definitely more than snotting out slime, you know? And it's just it's just a little disappointing and not what we would expect. I would expect more things akin to the, the shulker or the, the phantom, but on a passive level that they do something, they serve a purpose, and they further the game in some way. I'm still holding out for ostriches being like the best thing. <laughs> Whenever they update savanna biomes, like they said they were going to at Minecon, I'm thinking uh, ostriches are just going to revolutionise the game. I mean, I've, a good example is llamas. Yeah. They, they they spit at you, but you can sit on them, but they don't move. Now that's just frustrating and confusing <laughs> to a player. Yeah. Because you can yeah. even make the pig move if you get the carrot on a stick. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just those are the, some examples of passive mobs that just serve so little purpose I feel like I might have mentioned this on the show before but I feel like ostriches could be the Minecraft is it a kokoburi from Final Fantasy uh, Chocobo Kokoburi <laughs> is something else uh, but yeah Chocobo like being able to jump on an ostrich and ride it like a like horse on, on, on speed would be hilarious like I think <laughs> just ripping through the savannah on the back of an ostrich bouncing around just and seeing a Minecraft like a blocky Minecraft player fly by would just, would just be very you know on an ostrich that makes weird noises I just I think it would just add a lot of humor into an otherwise 
kind of questionable addition. Like, I'm looking at ostriches, really? Of all the animals? <laughs> like, that's the one you're adding? Ostrich racing, man, I'm telling you. It's the future. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the first thing that jumps to my mind. It's an incredibly fast way to travel, but it could be that the ostrich kicks you off and you go flying. Because, yes. you know, they're, they're a bit more untamable than a horse or something along those lines. Um, yeah. You know, it will go twice as fast as a horse and then it will kick you off. I hope someone <laughs> so at Mo Yang is listening to this and taking notes because this sounds like hilarity in action. All right, folks. Yeah. Well, uh, lovely though it has been to talk to Green, we are going to have to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks. Green, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on this episode of the show. It's been fantastic to have you and hear your thoughts about Hermitcraft and about the new features coming to the game and all sorts of other stuff. Where should people go if they want to see more of what you do? I think I'm going to be really cheeky here. Can you guys check out my second channel? Because I'm trying to get it to 100k without doing much work. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like those, those people you see in the comments who are like, can we get to 100,000 subscribers with one video? It's, is it going to be one of those situations? Yeah, exactly. So go go to Too Much Green and get me to 100k so that I can get another plaque without doing much work. Cheers. Perfect. And you're also <laughs> youtube.com slash Green is the main channel. At Green. Yeah, the second one. Yeah, the second one though. <laughs> at at MC on Twitter and, and that's that's going to be it i think thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to the some of the things we talked about seriously grian's second channel on the the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you get some value out of the show if you've enjoyed listening to us chat today why not consider putting some value back in by visiting patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and get us closer to our goal of having a quarterly Patreon Hangout. We're currently hovering around a stack of patrons still. It's really exciting to have this many people supporting us. And this week, we want to give a special thanks to our content engineer, Pen patron Pankwa, who submitted a question for this episode and is also going to be helping us engineer a few things behind the scenes. Thank you so much for your support. Spreading the word about the podcast is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell your friends, tell all the folks that you know. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Spawn Chunks. Personal recommendations, of course, go a long way. You can email the show at thespawnchunks at gmail.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, and Spotify. And hey, while you're out there on the interwebs, leave us a review. Our review this week is a five-star review from Angel57MC on the US iTunes store. This is from February 2nd. We're still catching up on a few of these older reviews. And they had to say, I can't believe I finally found the podcast for Minecrafters to listen to and enjoy. I couldn't wait to subscribe as soon as I heard Pixel Griffs mention it on one of his videos. Highly informative and very interesting topics, especially for beginners like me. Can't wait for the next episodes. Thanks so much, Angel. That is very, very kind of you to say. For those of you looking to subscribe to the show, you can find the RSS feed is uh, linked on thespawnchunks.com. The patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, and that is the only place where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of this podcast. My name is Pixel Riffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I'm also the voice for the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search, and I stream three days a week on Twitch, where I am going hell for leather on the Minecraft Survival Guide world and starting to build some of my city in the kind of off-camera spaces between videos. Aside from that, I'm at Pixel Riffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? 
Everything that I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. If you're interested in hiring me, just drop me a line. I recently did some work for a guest of ours, Whip. Uh, I helped him out with a new uh, channel identification for YouTube and uh, an outro screen. So that was a lot of fun. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, drop me a line. You can also find me on the Citadel Cafe podcast on Wednesdays and on youtube.com slash Joel Duggan, where I post new videos a few times a week. Most of it is Minecraft related. You will feel right at home. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. Tag, you're it.